Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Uh, I'm sure it's messy where you are. It's messy here at the building, as a matter of fact. So we're going to worship together, and uh, then we're all going to get out of here, too. Fortunately, the building is not the church. We're the church. And so uh, in this somewhat unique way, we're going to get to worship again today. If we've learned anything over the past, it's to be flexible. So thank you for being flexible with us today uh, as we worship Online. Hopefully, you are on the couch, you, you've got a hot cup of coffee or a hot cup of hot chocolate, and you're planning to stay there for the rest of the day. Uh, now that we're into well into the 21st century, uh, the turn of the century, which sounds kind of funny uh, saying that, using that phrase, but the turn of the century sort of becomes a marker for us to measure things by. We're, we're now 22 years into the 21st century, and if you're around my age, that is a crazy number. It's hard to believe that 22 years have passed since the year 2000. Uh, mathematically, we're closer to the year 2040 than we are to the year 2000, which again, just crazy numbers to think about. But if you go back to the year 2000, one of the things that has changed so dramatically is the way we communicate with each other. Even this, like we weren't doing this uh, in the year 2000. We've had to learn new ways to communicate everything with one another. If you go back even farther than the year 2000, maybe 30 or 40 years ago, uh, there were basically three ways to communicate with other people. And some of you are around my age, so you'll remember this. There were three ways, basically, you could communicate with somebody else. You could call them from a phone that was attached to your house. It had a long cord, and you would call somebody from your house. You didn't carry the phone around in your pocket. You couldn't call from just anywhere. You could call from your house. Or you could write somebody a letter. You could write them a note and, and get that to them. Or you could go to their house and give them the message in person. 30, 40 years ago, those were basically the only only ways that we communicated with each other. I mean, there was, there was the telegraph, but I mean, none of us really did that. There were walkie-talkies, but on a daily basis, you didn't really do that. There were th those three ways. Call them from the home phone, which most of us now probably don't even have a home phone. You call them from the home phone, you write them a note or a letter, or you could go see them and deliver the message. And over the past 30 to 40 years, especially since the turn of the century, since the year 2000, the ways we communicate, the options we have for communication have just exploded, right? Obviously, you can still call, but not usually not from your home phone, from your cell phone. You can text, you can email, uh, you can have a texting app, which is different from texting on your phone. You can send a video, you can use a GIF, you can use a meme, you can FaceTime, you can Zoom, uh, obviously social media, you can communicate with other people, you can post something, you can message somebody, you can DM, you can PM, you can slide into somebody's DMs, not suggesting you do that this morning, just saying that's an option. We have all of these options. We have Marco Polo and, and TikTok. Um, 
you can communicate to someone through your doorbell. We have a couple of ring cameras around our home, including a ring doorbell. And if somebody is within range of that camera, I can talk to them from anywhere in the world. It's one of the ways, especially my youngest daughter scares me to death because I'll be in the driveway and she'll start talking to me from a completely other city. It's crazy the number of ways we have to communicate. But here's the thing about all of these different ways of communication. All of them had to be learned at some point. Uh, You you may not even remember what it was, but there was a first text that you ever sent someone. Uh, Again, if you're my age, it was probably on a flip phone, and you probably had to push the same button multiple times, right? A, B, C, S, T, U. You had to type out. It was like we were doing some kind of weird Morse code back then with flip phones to be able to text uh, with one another. But you sent your first text. There was a time that you learned how to send an email and you sent your very first email. And, and chances are you don't remember what that was. If you do, if you remember wh- who your first text was to or who your first email was to or what it was about, uh, post it in the comments. My first text was, just let us know, this was the first one of those that I sent. With all forms of communication, Uh, We had to learn how to do them. Most of us today, when we need to learn a new form of communication, we just find a 13-year-old to show us how to do it. And and that's how we learn to use new forms of uh, communication. But part part of the problem we face today is there's so many, it feels like you can't learn them all. As a matter of fact, some of you have decided, I have enough ways to communicate right now. I don't need to learn any new ones, and I totally get it. I'm kind of in that same uh, group of people that I have some ways that I know. I don't have to learn all of the ways to communicate. That gets tricky when you're trying to communicate with a group of people. Uh, Maybe you've had that experience, and so you need to send out a message to a large group of people, and you know, well, most of them are on Facebook, but these 10 people aren't on Facebook, and so we're going to send a text, but these three people, they don't ever check their text, and so we'll try to uh, send them an email, but that probably won't get to them either. We'll just probably go over to their house and deliver the message. There's so many forms of communication. We're all using different ones, but again, here's the thing about communication. You had to learn all of those ways of communicating. You sent your very first one. And, 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 and the thing about communication is all forms of communication, they come with a learning curve. You have to figure it out. You have to learn how to do that particular form of communication, even talking. Right? Talking is a, the simplest example. We all had to learn. We practiced. We, we, we said one-syllable words. We imitated our parents and, and other people, but you, you had to learn. All forms of communication come with a learning curve. Prayer is a form of communication, a very ancient form of communication. You're just communicating with God. Right? You're talking to God, and, and, and like all forms of communication, there's, there's sometimes a learning curve. There's, there's a growth curve. If you don't feel very good at prayer, that's okay. We're all learning how to pray better. If you've had a time in your life where 
you felt like your prayers weren't effective or you, or you tried before. Maybe at the beginning of a previous year, you thought, I'm going to pray more and that, that only lasted a couple of weeks or you got frustrated or you felt like maybe God wasn't listening. I'm here to tell you, all of that's okay because every form of communication, including and especially prayer, has a learning curve. Now, last week I said anyone can pray, and that's absolutely true. Anyone can pray. It's talking to God. At the same time, you and I have room to grow in our prayer life. There there are things that we can learn. Even the disciples had to learn better how to pray. In Luke chapter 11, which is where we're going to be, if you have your copy of the Bible, then uh, find Luke chapter 11. It's over in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament. In Luke chapter 11, the the disciples have an interesting conversation with Jesus. And, And it's important to know when we get to Luke 11, they've been following Jesus for quite a while now, months, maybe a year, maybe more than that. Uh, They've been around Jesus. They've listened to him teach. Uh, They've seen miracles by this point. Uh, They've even gone on a mission trip. Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends them out on a mission trip. So they've been involved in the ministry of the kingdom that Jesus was accomplishing on earth. They had gotten to know Jesus. They've been a follower of Jesus. They, they, They had seen him perform miracles. They weren't brand new followers of Jesus. And yet, even though they had been around Jesus for a while, they have this conversation with him. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. They've been following Jesus, and then all of a sudden they realized we have more to learn about this whole prayer thing. Uh, If you feel like prayer is difficult for you, if you... If you feel like maybe I'm not really good at it, I don't really know enough about it, you are exactly like the disciples. Because the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Here's an important point we learn from them. The disciples teach us that in order for my prayer life to be better... I have to want it to be better. I have to have a desire. The, the disciples come to Jesus with this desire. We want to we pray better. We, we want to pray more like you, Jesus. The truth is the disciples had prayed before. It wasn't that they never prayed. They were good Jewish boys. They'd been to synagogue. They, they had heard prayers. They had memorized prayers. They had said prayers. They'd been praying for almost their whole life. But there was this day... That Jesus was praying, and I think what the disciples felt was, Jesus, we want to pray like you. Like there was something in the way that Jesus was praying that they knew their prayers weren't like his. And maybe it, maybe it was the power that he seemed to pray with. Maybe it was the passion he prayed with or, or the focus that he prayed with or the confidence in his prayers. Whatever it was, the disciples heard Jesus pray and thought, that's not the way I pray. I want to pray more like Jesus prayed. They desired this. They wanted this. 
And, and for us, as, as we're talking about this issue of prayer, we have to look at our own hearts a little bit, and, and we have to ask, do I really want to pray better? Do I, do I really want to pray more effectively? Do, do I really desire to pray? And of course, on Sunday morning, even though we're not all here in the building today, even on Sunday morning in, in a worship service like this, we know we're supposed to want to pray, but I mean, I'll be honest, there, there'll be, there's been times in my life when I found it difficult to pray, um, when, when I didn't have a great desire to pray, and some of that was because of circumstances I was experiencing, maybe really difficult time, and, and, and I, I wasn't managing that difficult time well, and I felt distant from God. So some of it was, was just the things that were happening in my life. Some of it was emotionally where I was during those times of my life. I have to be honest, there have been times when I haven't been motivated to pray. And so we constantly have to check our hearts and ask, do I really want to pray? And do I want to pray more like Jesus? And if you find that you don't, if you if you find that prayer is just kind of a routine topic to you, yeah, we talk about that at church, I, I pray for my meals, I, but I'm not really motivated to pray, to pray. Maybe that's your prayer this week, It's just say, God, give me a desire to want to pray more like Jesus. Give me a desire for my prayer life to grow. We, we need that desire. Second thing we learn from the disciples is, in order to pray better, I have to be willing to learn, not just have a desire, but I have to be willing to learn and to grow, just, just like we learned how to talk when we were children. Right? They, they wanted, we wanted to communicate as kids, and, and as children, all of us probably mispronounced some words for a while. Uh, if you're a parent, you probably remember specific words that your children pronounced in a funny way, and you, and you helped them learn the right way, and then you regretted helping them learn the right way because it was so cute the way they used to pronounce it, and now you miss hearing them pronounce it that way. Yeah, that was part of the growth. They were learning. They were growing. When it comes to prayer, you and I have to desire to pray more and better, but we have to be willing to learn. We, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us. You see, prayer is a school that we never graduate from. You don't get a degree and a, a diploma and walk across the stage and you're just perfect at prayer. Prayer is one of those subjects that we keep taking more classes in, right? We keep growing in. We keep matriculating on and, and learning more and, and, and gaining more understanding of what prayer is. We have to be willing to learn when it comes to our prayer life. Let's look at how Jesus responded to his disciples. They come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is Jesus' response. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. 
And that's the end of that prayer in Luke chapter 11. You may be familiar with the longer version that happens in the Sermon on the Mount over in Matthew. But here in Luke chapter 11, in response to the disciples' desire to learn to pray, Jesus gives this version of that prayer. A couple of takeaways from Jesus' response. And the first one is this. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. And that may sound like a cop-out, but, but the best way to learn to pray is to pray. It's kind of like riding a bike. Right? The, the only way to learn to ride a bike is to get on it and start riding it. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. Now, in, in the 21st century, when we have so many resources, we have access to so much really good teaching... If somebody asks us how they should pray, we might be tempted to say, well, here's a great book. It's about 300 pages. Read this book, and it'll help you learn how to pray. Or, or we might say, um, hey, there's a prayer conference coming up. There's a seminar. You should go to this two-day seminar, and it will help you learn how to pray. Or we might say, there's this online course you can take. Just log in, take this online course, and it'll help you learn how to pray. And and listen, all of those can be valuable. I've learned a lot about prayer from books and from seminars and from online and from messages. But when Jesus was asked, what does it mean to pray? He didn't do any of those things. He didn't even preach a 30, 35-minute message on prayer. He said, essentially, we'll pray. If you want to learn to pray, then pray. And that, that's, a, that's a good message for me. I, I, I need to hear that. If you want to get better at prayer, then pray. Prioritize it. Put it in your schedule. Uh, have a time when you, when you pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us, Pray continually. That's the whole verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, easy verse to memorize. Pray continually. And, and obviously, we can't always be praying. But Paul says, you should always be ready to pray. Th- this idea of praying continually, I, I think it combines two aspects of prayer. One is that prayer is an attitude and, second thing, it's an action. Prayer is an attitude and an action. It's an attitude in that praying continually means I always have an attitude where I could stop and pray at any moment. I could pray anytime, anywhere. I could always be ready to pray. When I, when I see a need, I could pray right then. I don't have to wait till that evening when I say my prayers. I could pray immediately right then because I'm always in an attitude where I could pray. When when somebody asked me to pray for, for them, I could pray right then, immediately. I could pray for them. When I have an anxiety or a worry, then I, I could pray immediately. When, when I see something that's beautiful or wonderful or there's some goodness that comes into my life, I can thank God immediately because I have an attitude of prayer. I can pray continually. At any moment, I could pray to God and I could lift somebody up. If somebody's on my mind, you ever have this happen? Somebody's on my mind and I don't know why, but I can't get them off my mind. That may be a prompt from God. I need to pray for that person. 
And when Paul says, pray continually, if I have an attitude of prayer all of the time that I could stop and pray at any time for whatever I feel like I need to pray for. So prayer is an attitude, but I would encourage you to also see prayer as an activity. And what I mean is, in addition to having an attitude of prayer, I have to actually pray. Not just know, well, I can pray anytime. That's absolutely true. The question is, do I pray anytime? Here's the thing for me when it comes to this attitude of prayer and praying continually. If I'm not careful, I'll let the idea that I can talk to God anywhere keep me from actually talking to God somewhere. The fact that I can pray anywhere sometimes becomes an excuse for me not to pray actually somewhere. I could pray. I could always pray. And, And that's a wonderful thought. But then I have to ask, do I actually pray? Is there time in my life when I actually pray? You you know as well as I do that sometimes people say, I'm going to pray for you, which is a wonderful thing to say, but we have to follow that up with, do I actually pray for that person? We sometimes say, you're in my thoughts and prayers, which is a wonderful sentiment. There's nothing wrong with that sentiment. But then we have to ask the question, do I actually pray? Yes, I have an attitude of prayer. I could pray anytime, but then I've also got to ask myself, have I entered into the activity of prayer? Do I actually pray? One of the things I think that will help us pray is if we engage in different types of praying, try things when we pray. That's a part of learning any new skill or or any new hobby is I've got to try some things to see what works for my prayer life. If you're a golfer, you try things. You try everything to become a better golfer. Golfers will uh, try a different swing. They'll try different clubs. They'll try a, a different grip. They'll try a different golf course. They'll try riding in a golf cart. They'll try walking instead of riding in a golf cart. They'll try new shoes. They'll try a new thought pattern in their swing. They'll try to not have any thought patterns when they make their swing. They go back and forth trying all of these little things that will help. And and when a golfer tries all of these things, they're not trying to go from a 25 handicap to a 2 handicap. I mean, they'd love that. But as golfers are trying all of these different approaches, what they're hoping is, well, I'll gain one or two strokes, and then I'll learn something new, and I'll gain one or two strokes, and I'll learn something new, I'll gain one or two strokes. Golfers are always tweaking and trying to shave off another shot or two, and prayer is kind of that way. We need to try some things. We need to try to pray differently in our prayer life. Pray sitting down, pray standing up, pray as you go for a walk, pray outside, pray inside, pray scripture, write down your prayers, pray at night, pray in the morning, pray on your lunch break, keep a prayer journal, make a list of prayer requests and pray through that list. Get a prayer partner and either pray together physically in the same place or or pray separately, but then encourage one another to 
continue to pray. There are many ways to pray. And if we're going to be a, a learner of prayer, you and I have to keep trying things. Right? Jesus, Jesus said, just pray. Right? Just try it. Just, just do something. You want to learn to pray, then you have to pray. Here's something else we learned from Jesus' answer to his disciples. Prayers don't have to be long. Right? Jesus' answer tells us prayers don't have to be long. He gave them four sentences. When you pray, pray like this, one, two, three, four. Four sentences. He did not give them a lengthy prayer. Like We're not competing for gold medals when it comes to prayer. We're, we're not trying to outpray the last time we prayed. Right? Prayer doesn't have to be measured in hours or, or even minutes. Now, Jesus prayed longer prayers. Certainly, he did. John 17 is a much longer prayer. Of course, Jesus prayed longer prayers. You may pray longer prayers. Some of you may pray for 10 or 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. That may be where you are in your prayer life. But when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? He gave them a really short prayer, just four sentences. Just pray this. It's, it's even okay to pray this exact prayer. Right? That, that probably shouldn't be the only way that we pray as we learn and grow. But as we're learning to pray, it's okay to pray this exact prayer. God, help me remember that you're holy. Hallowed be your name. I want to put you first. Your kingdom come. God, I trust you'll meet my needs today. God, help me forgive other people and forgive my sins. God, don't let me be led into temptation. Just a really simple prayer. Jesus said it doesn't have to be long. And you, and you may want to paraphrase this prayer as you're learning to pray. Here's a way you could paraphrase this prayer. You could say, God, I know that you're strong and I'm weak. Here are the things that are on my mind today. God, I know you're strong and I'm weak. Here are the things that are going to be a part of my day today. And then whatever's going to be a part of your day, whatever you're anxious about or worried about or grateful for, whatever's coming up later in the day, just pray for those things. And you don't have to spend an hour there. You don't have to measure it by the clock. Just, God, you're strong. I'm weak. Let me pray for these things in my day. God, you're great. I'm weak. Help me with these things. Here's another thing we learn. Is that um, prayer doesn't have to be complicated. Right? It, it doesn't have to be long. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Well, what Jesus encouraged the disciples to pray for were just the basic things they were going to face during that day. The, the basic challenges they were going to meet during that coming Day. This wasn't a, a systematic theology prayer. He didn't pray through every doctrine of Christianity, although it's fine to pray along doctrinal theological lines. When the disciples wanted to learn to pray, Jesus said, well, recognize God's God, right? R recognize God and, and, and then pray for what's on your heart. Just talk to God about whatever's coming up that day and then do it again the next day. God, you're strong. God, I'm weak. I need you. And so here's what's happening in my life today. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. Prayers don't have to be long. Prayers don't have to be complicated. And then another thing Jesus communicated to his disciples is 
remember who's listening to your prayers. Don't make them long. Don't make them complicated. But remember who's listening to your prayers. Jesus spends four sentences over about three verses telling his disciples what to pray. And then he spends nine verses reminding them who they're praying to. Let's read those. This is beginning in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything, I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus says, if it's late at night and you have a need, and this is before 24-hour Walmarts, and you know that your neighbor could meet that need, even if your neighbor is grumpy, even if your neighbor is a total jerk, but you have a real need, you would go ask them for it. You would knock on their door. And not only would you ask them, not only would you knock on their door, you would keep knocking on their door. Even if he said, go away, you're bothering me, you're waking everybody else up in my house, you would keep asking. Even of a grumpy neighbor, you would ask for the needs that you have. And they would probably eventually meet those needs because you kept asking. Now, if that's the case, if you would go ask your grumpy neighbor to help you with a need that you have, why wouldn't you ask your heavenly father who loves you? Your heavenly father who wants what's best for you, who wants what's good for you, who wants to care for you. If you would go to your neighbor who maybe doesn't even like you, when you had a real need, why wouldn't you go to your heavenly father who would never send you away, who would never say you're bothering me, who would never get angry with you? Why wouldn't you ask him? And in the story... There's a physical need, obviously. They needed food to eat. But there was an emotional need, too. It would have been embarrassing. It would have been insulting to have a guest show up and you're not able to show them the right hospitality. So when he goes to ask of the neighbor, he's not just asking for a physical need to be met, but he's, he's asking for an emotional need to be, met, to be met. When we come to God, God is able and willing to meet all of our needs, physical needs and, and emotional needs and financial needs and relational needs. God cares for us. Look, the, the content of our prayer is important. It is. The content of our prayer is important. What we pray about, it's important. That we pray is important. But by far, the most important thing about prayer is remembering that we're praying to a God who loves us. 
We're, we're praying to a God that receives our request, that enjoys our request. We're praying to a God who cares about us. We're not beating on his door, hoping that he'll respond to our request. We're praying to a loving God. So your prayer doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be complicated. Just pray. Just talk to God on a regular basis, knowing that He loves you, that He cares for you, that He wants to hear from you, that He will be listening. He will never slam the door in your face. He will always want to hear from you. Let's pray. God, thank you that Jesus gives us this simple reminder that we are to pray to Him, that we're to call out to Him, that He's our Father who loves us. And it doesn't have to be long, and it doesn't have to be complicated. We don't have to pray for everything all at once. We just have to ask. We just have to pray. We just have to talk. God, sometimes we have to, we have to ask things of, of our boss and we're never sure how they're going to respond. We have to ask uh, for things from uh, a friend or a neighbor or a coworker. We're never sure how they're going to respond. But when we come to you, we always know that you love for us to talk to you. You love for us to ask you for things. You love to meet our needs. And so help us to pray. Always and specifically at times to come to you and to ask. Uh, our lives are busy. Uh, we're going from place to place. But we need to make room for this. We need to make room for what you want to do in our lives through prayer. Help us to be faithful to that. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.